Welcome to the Sales Globe Rethink Sales Podcast. I'm Mark Danolo. And I'm Michelle Seeger. Michelle, today we're going to talk about a thing called TAM, Total Addressable Market. And this is really big in the news right now because companies are trying to figure out what their TAM is as we're moving into the future of sales. And that's changing. Yeah, it sure is. As we know from our clients, we're hearing from them every day that the methods they've used in the past are not working anymore for how they identify their total addressable market. Not that the methods were that great anyway, were they, Mark? No, no. In fact, so many companies look at history to try to predict mm -hmm. what their market's going to be or what their goals are going to be. But now we know for sure history is history. So uh, we have to have some forward-thinking methods. So we're going to learn about that today. Yes, we are. And I'm really, really excited because one of our good friends is joining us today, Greg Johnson from Corterra. A Moody's analytics company, and he is going to be bringing some great insights on how you can address your total addressable market. Awesome. Let's jump right into it. So I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit. You know, we always, everybody always wants to know, you know, who's our guest and what's their deal. You're a big data geek. I love talking to you because you're able to bring it down to something that somebody like me can understand very clearly because I'm not the data geek. Um, I'd love for you to just talk to everyone about what you do at Corterra, a little bit about your journey and the part about not getting off the hook. Just give everybody a fun fact about yourself that they may not know about. <laughs> fun fact, huh? Okay. Those are always fun to come up with. Um, so uh, I guess so just uh, maybe a little bit about um, a little bit about Corterra. Um, data world, I've been, been a part of the data world for a long time. And uh, our founder and CEO, Jim Swift, I've known for probably almost 20 years, uh, darn near as long as I've known, uh, known Mark and, and Michelle. And you know, the, the, the world for Corterra is that of solving a problem that has existed for a very long time. And that is the lack of information on privately held businesses. Um, this, some stats, you know, 30, 31 million businesses in North America. And of those 15,000 are public, only 5.8 million have more than one employee. Right. So when you when you when you look at that and you consider the fact that two to three thousand businesses are coming and going out of business every day in non COVID times, it's it's a lot of information that's missing and it's it's in, it's basically causing any decision to be inferior because you don't have that information to be made. So Corterra has gone about solving the problem and doing it in a completely different and unique way, which is ultimately with the Moody's acquisition recently was ultimately why they, they wanted us. And that was to be able to bring a different view of businesses and create a proxy, a suitable, suitable proxy for the lack of financial statements in the form of how companies spend. So we have all kinds of information about how they pay and who they are and what they do in terms of the good old fashioned demographic, firmographic data. Um, but it's this spend, verified spend that is really insightful in, in understanding a business. So. Um, the journey has been an interesting one. It's been going on now for, I guess, about 16 years to build the data asset from essentially zero to be now over $1.7 trillion worth of B2B spend that's contributed by thousands of companies 
and it's it's a I mean it's a cool model because you're you, people are giving you data because you're bringing them things in return in terms of value to run their businesses, and and as you build it just gets more interesting and, and more insightful. So it's been been a lot of fun. Um, you know, I always I always go to the easy ones for my 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 something cool about Greg, and it's it's uh, goes back to just family. So. Uh, and it, it gets to be a longer story every time, but it, it started that I'm a dad to four daughters, hashtag girl dad. So Kobe, <laughs> Kobe Bryant, unfortunately, made that popular just before his death. But, um, so I would say hashtag girl dad. Um, and then uh, I now have two grandsons. So there are some men in my life and a wonderful son-in-law. So finally, a little bit of testosterone around me. So that's that's positive. And, uh, and two dogs. So uh, when you thought you were done raising kids, now you pick up dogs and you figure out how to try to raise them. So <laughs> that's my fun fact. When I'm not working, I'm, I'm either with my kids or with my, with my pets. So That's great. Thank you so much. Well, we are really, really <clears throat> excited um, to have you here today. And we have used that data with real clients. We're going to show you some of that today. But first, let's talk a little bit about that data. And Mark, I think you're going to you and uh, Greg will take us through yeah, some of this. I, I think this this is um, there's so many great views here when mm -hmm. you take a look at the information that that Corterra has. Greg, uh, this is one that we talked with Jim Swift about a couple of weeks ago, but I just wanted to bring this one back up again. And this is what you guys call a bounce curve, and <clears throat> this is probably the simplest version that we've seen of it. But it basically looks at what's happened since uh, the beginning, or really the end of, of 2019. Uh, in terms of overall purchasing of companies. And you can see that bounce or what, you know, that drop early in 2020, and then how we've recovered from that. So it's a very simple line, obviously, but it's showing that V-shaped recovery. And one of the big points is everybody's moving at a different speed. But I wonder if you could talk about just the overall picture, you know, from what you, what you guys see uh, in this view right now. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's, it was super exciting to see February going into March. And that's, you know, we're, we're just at the turning point of the 12 months of when things really started going haywire as a result of the pandemic, which is, can be seen to the further to the left as you go into the, the bottom and uh, in, in May. But to ultimately what this is, is the spending by all of the companies that we have information on in North America, which is, is roughly the 5.8 million worth that have more than one employee, more than one employee. <clears throat> so it's $1.7 trillion worth of spend and essentially it's showing what's happening in terms of month over month growth and looking back over a full year to, to March of last year. So, you know, not only did we go through the, the, the extreme downturn in May of 2020, but now we're actually up to the tune of 14 and a half percent over March of 2020. So I look at March as it's pre-COVID at some level is sort of mm -hmm. beginning of COVID, I guess is the way to say it, but it was before shutdown, right? So, you know, super positive in that regard because it means the economy's doing real well. And, you know, a lot of economists look at it and they say, let's look at consumer spending as the driver and predictor of the way the economy's going. And we look at it a little differently because, you know, if you think through it, what we buy as consumers, you can't buy until a company <laughs> creates it. So there's B2B spend that precedes consumer spending. So I think this is actually a predictor, an indicator of where things are going. Now we've got more refrigerators that are gonna be available. So people are gonna be buying refrigerators again. You know, you can just pick up the different different things that are starting to move. So yeah, super interesting and fun to see this happen. The other thing we saw on the backside was 
a bit more of a convergence. So the little companies caught up to the big companies in growth, where there was a wide gap where the big companies were killing it back in sort of that, uh, what, what's like the September, October, November frame. We saw you know, the, the big companies were driving it. Now the small companies are starting to come back as we start to reopen in some areas. So pretty interesting, fun to see. So this is an overall, you know, big positive picture here. Mm -hmm. And what we looked at, uh, another view that we looked at with Jim was the levels of the supply chain. So manufacturing, distribution, retail, mm -hmm. and, and you could see some, you know, differences there, but you could see where it's catching up. I think we looked at this months and months ago, we saw that uh, the manufacturing wasn't quite keeping up, but now that that's caught up. So when you look at it from a supply chain view, that tells a a really great uh, story as well. And the only thing I'll say is, you know, I always, I always caution on this because this is just the high level and these are the companies that are succeeding. Mm -hmm. the, the sad, desperate, terrible stories of company failures are bigger than ever below that 14.5% growth. So it's, it's a tale of two cities. I mean, the great divide, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, the divide has gotten bigger between success and failure of companies. So there's so many bad stories and just tragedies of, of businesses that have been around for a long time that, you know, lost their business life to, to this, this pandemic. So right, right. great in one regard. And there's still a lot of really you know, tragic things going on below that. So, so if, yeah. if you look at this as a marketer, as a sales organization, and, and let's take a look at the, the next view here, you talk about, you know, tale of two cities, but we also see a lot, a lot of different things going on by industry as well. And so we've got some great views here of the spending increases and the spending decreases, but I wanted to see if we could talk a little bit about who's up and who's down. Yeah. And, um, you know, you can see at, at the top here, you've got uh, commercial equipment wholesale, you've got electronic, uh, uh, wholesale electronics, you've got non-store internet retailers. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the ones you would expect, uh, to be at, at the top, uh, religious organizations. I think it's kind of interesting. Yeah. <laughs> we saw we saw two up up before. Like we saw religious organizations, uh, alcohol and, uh, ambulatory, and ambulatory medical service. services. Yeah. Right? <laughs> We've had a lot of fun going through this data for sure. But um, yeah, let's let's talk about. Oh, and, and of course, at the bottom here on on coming up, which is like. 25.9% uh, increase construction of buildings, yeah. which, you know, we're seeing everywhere. A lot of, a lot of construction lumber prices going up, but let's talk about some of the ones that are up, Greg, and, and what do you see? And, and what does that mean for, for sales organizations as they think yeah. about where their markets are shifting? Yeah. And I was going to say, I'm going to actually start with that piece, Mark, because I, I think when, when we talk through this, um, what you see is, is it's, it changes so rapidly right now. I mean, things that, that went one way six months ago are going in a completely different direction now as things change. And from a sales perspective, it means your TAM is moving all over the place, mm -hmm. right? I mean, it went from, it went from um, milk that was being brought to homes in small cartons mm -hmm. to milk that, I'm sorry, milk that was being uh, bought for, you know, go to Disneyland and places like that mm -hmm. and cruise ships to milk that was bought by cartons. If you think about that, it's different for the milk producer and it's different for, for the, the, the actual packaging company, right? So things like that. I mean, specifics, you mentioned uh, building. Um, building continues to take off because I actually have some, some updated uh, fresh data, real fresh data here. And that's actually now up again um, the next with the next sort of 30 days worth of data, it's up 26 and a half percent. So that's continuing to increase. 
um, one that isn't even on there leapt to the top, which is water transportation. Now, I don't know if that's because the Suez Canal finally opened up or not, but uh, that was a chance. <laughs> I got it. That was yeah, right. That was good. That was that was that was that was a that was, that was a big laugh. I get it. No worries. Um, let's see. Uh, non-store retailers. Um, yeah. So non-store retailers, fifty-two percent, starting to to go back down a little bit. Right, and that's because people are starting to think about going back to their boutiques and that type of thing. So we're starting yeah. to see more back in the brick and mortar than it was. I don't think it'll ever get back all the way to where it was, but yeah. it, it's, it's certainly leveling anyway. Uh, wholesale electronics markets and agents. So wholesale was up 59. It's now up 51, which is still pretty strong, but you can see it's starting to finally temper a little bit. And that's one that we just, we've been sitting there saying, man, how can this thing keep going like that? How many computers can companies buy? Um, but it's going to be interesting because now the world of um, things like, you know, the electronics that are going into and the componentry that's going into fancy refrigerators and stuff mm -hmm. as those start to get ramped up in manufacturing. So it'd be interesting to see what happens next in that regard. And, and at the same <laughs> yeah. time, you've got a, you've got a shortage of semiconductors, right? So you've got yeah. Refrigerators, yeah. cars, everything has semiconductors in it, and we're seeing a shortage there that's in right. terms of yeah. production. And that's become one of the bigger drivers of, of success or failure of a business is their supply chain. Right? They're completely dependent on it. Manufacturing has been either living or dying by supply chain now for the last you know 13 months. So uh, super interesting there. So as a sales organization, as you look at information like this, uh, depending on obviously what industry you're in and what you're selling, you should be able to look out at your segments and see which ones are moving. And as you're thinking about where your TAM <coughs> is moving, that's going to tell you, uh, you know, what's up and, and what the, what the trends are. And then also as you're getting down to the level of territories, mm -hmm. goal setting, that's right. going to, going to fold into it as well mm -hmm. to that point we made earlier that the general deployment is kind of yielding to more targeted deployment by market. Mm -hmm. And, and I think if, if Mark, if you take that list there of whatever 10 or 12 in either one of those lists, then you think of that as at a rep level and right. you say, okay, that's my account list, right? The same volatility is at a territory level yes. as at a, an industry level or at a macroeconomic level. So understanding what's moving and changing and who's doing well or who's not is driving where the difference is. If you think about um, forecasting, Right? And, and is this deal going to close? Well, if all of a sudden the industry took a dive, then, okay, things are going to change. And they're going to start tightening up. This week, I heard more conversations about companies that were pulling back who are booming, packaging companies, booming, right? But they're pulling mm. back by fear of interest rates going up. So it's, it's the volatility. We've, we've never seen it so, so volatile, right? Um, but you know, to your point, it, it affects your reps greatly and it certainly affects your strategy, um, strategy in the sales organization, the marketing organization, the product organization, potentially, depending on what different markets need for different products. So there's, there's a ripple effect across the entire organization. So you've got to have this, um, you know, for people that are listening to this, you've got to have this at the high level. So you've got to know overall where you're heading directionally you, and that'll help with your overall targeting, your overall messaging, your positioning, what you're selling. But then Greg, what you're saying, which I, you know, we totally agree with, you've got to have it down to the rep level, down to the account level. So you've got to be able to, as a rep, look at your territory and know where the hot spots are so that you can focus. And, and then, um, so let's take a look at the opposite here, which is the spending decreases. 
And, you know, the top one here, which we talked about earlier, that actually is improving petroleum and coal products manufacturing. I heard this morning that all of the major petroleum and oil companies are, are up in terms of their stock performance. So that one is starting to shift around a bit, but it sounds like that one's improving. Yeah, it definitely is. In fact, we've, uh, with the latest data, we've seen it move. So it's still down year over year, but only slightly. So it's down only 4.9% compared to the, the 12% 30 days ago. So definitely a rebound. And food service and drinking places is now positive. It just isn't, didn't make the, the, your top list on the other side because it wasn't quite at the, the growth of more than 25% to make the top sort of 20 list there. But so that, that's changing, which isn't necessarily a surprise as much as given reopening and what's going on. Um, but then I expect that amusement, gambling, and recreation with all the announcements this week, um, combination of Disney and things like that, that's going to yeah. drop right away. Heck, all you had to do was look at the NFL draft last night. Holy cannoli. I was like, what the heck? There's <laughs> <laughs> you on whether, whether COVID's alive or not. That'll be a determining factor. But, uh, but that's <laughs> it's going to drive things going up. Yep. Kentucky Derby's. This oh, weekend, that's right? right? I heard yep. the hotels are 65% capacity versus that's like 99 to 100%, but yeah, still good. But, yeah, Bourbon sales, is. not quite what they were, but you know, <laughs> leading indicator perhaps. And then down at the bottom here, Greg, you see some of them like air transportation, rail transportation, uh, accommodations, the ones we'd expect to be down. Actually, accommodations on this list down 66%, air transport down 31, rail transport down 32. But we can see that uh, that's picking up air transport. You know, obviously, the prices are going up on, on uh, air transportation as well. Yeah, the accommodations was now, uh, is now down only 30% month over month. Uh, month, over month. Oh, so that's big. big. That's a big um, change. And then air transport is down only uh, 24%. So that, too, is starting to come back. And you got to remember, air transportation was at the absolute bottom. They were even below accommodations before. And so we've seen with the, 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 um, the increase in travel that's gone on just in the last, I'll say, two months, 60 days, where we've seen more than a million people at one point going through TSA, and now it's way more than that. Um, that's coming back, which is, is positive. Interestingly, at the bottom, um, this time in terms of the spending decreases, is performing arts and, and spectator sports down 45%. Wow. Um, so that's intriguing to see that that's, that's down now. I would have expected it to be going up. Uh, they announced Broadway is going to be opening up in July or September, I think, which one. So uh, that'll be coming back as well. But again, just driving the shift in, in where your focus is. And, and those are the companies at some point they're going to be deciding, do I now invest and ahead of the surge, right? So you're going to see that the leading indicators, the, the sports facilities that they're going to open up, you know, Roger Goodell said, hey, we're going to open up all the, all the stadiums. They got to start thinking about putting food back in those places, right? They're going to be buying Pepsi and Coke and beer and loading those things up at some point in advance of the opening. So you got these, these leading indicators that are going to come and say, hey, we're getting ready for the people that are going to come to these stadiums. Great point. So we can tell where yeah. things are heading so we can prepare for that. So this is, this is uh, telling us you know, where, the, where the puck is going, so to speak. So Yeah, using that. different data to give you insights to the market. Yeah. So yeah. one of the things that we know is that there's two things that you need, right? You need really good data. You need great insights. And you need <clears> to be accurate. And the other thing is a really good process, right? That, that you can actually execute upon. So Mark, you want to take us through a little bit about our view on territories in TAM? 
Right. And, and Greg, this is actually something that we'd worked on together on a few projects as well. And so we'll talk about two sides here. There's the market opportunity side, which we're talking about, which is your TAM, your total addressable market. And then there's the sales capacity side, but first the market opportunity side. Um, when you look at this kind of information, if you go to the very top of what you see at the chart here with that, that little uh, telescope, you can get a U.S. level, and we're assuming U.S. here in this conversation, but a U.S. level view of the market, uh, heat mapping, uh, where we, we think the opportunities are. So you can take a strategic view and you can say, I can see by industry what geographies are moving and where we might need to start to shift our focus in terms of what we're doing. And then that is... You know, that's good from a strategy standpoint, but it's got to be useful from a deployment and from a sales standpoint. So coming from the bottom up, if you take your target segments, you can see little people there, your target segments, you can get account level information, which we'll talk about in a minute or two here, but account level information to be able to then put together uh, and append with your actual uh, company information. So if I have information on my customers, or I even have information on my prospects from another data source, you could take your data and append to that, and we can start to approximate what that looks like nationally, but at the account level, so we can start to build that up, right? So there's kind of this magic that happens having the overall strategic view, but it's not enough just to say, we know where the big TAM is in the market, but then having that tactical view to be able to bubble that up and say, okay, we know exactly where to go, where to put our salespeople, and we can put together our messaging and our offer and our deployment with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, I think Mark, you know, one thing that always hits me on this, it's um, it's understanding where where are you going? And I'm actually surprised in a lot of conversations when I'll talk to sales leaders and it's, you know, what are your primary areas that you're going after? What do those companies look like? Can you tell me the name of a company or could you give me a list of 50 companies that are mm -hmm. represent that company that you need to go after with that product that's driving the most revenue, the most profit, whatever it is that, that is the driver for you. So that notion of the company level persona to be able to look first out at the market opportunity and say, where do I find those? And then to boil it down, as you said, to the, you know, to the, to the uh, company targets at a, at a company level specifically. So Michelle, you were talking about a situation earlier, actually one of our clients where, you know, they can see where the market's moving, but actually how their customers are using their products right. uh, is, yeah. is changing based on the current environment. Yeah. So when you think about the company persona, don't underestimate that that's changed. So first of all, don't assume it's accurate. Secondly, don't assume that it has not changed because of the past year. So Mark, you're talking about a global company that what they do is they provide office equipment. So think about printers and computers and monitors, anything that um, an organization needs. And they target white collar workers uh, to enable their operations in, in an office environment. And now because of the pandemic, everybody is aware of this, right? There's a certain percentage of companies and it's a fairly high percentage globally that are moving into a hybrid model. So that means that now the value proposition of this company, which really was all about efficiency, the ability to handle the load, being very fast, you know, af affordable, not a lot of break fix going on. Now it's changed and it's okay. We need our people to be able to work seamlessly, whether they're in an office or they're working from home or somewhere else completely changes the persona, I would think, and what your opportunity can really look like in the market. Yeah. You said um, has changed. 
it has changed. You know, and, and the other question is, if it has changed, have you changed your persona? Have you changed where you're going? That's right. Does need to change, right? And I yeah. think about my mind as a salesperson, and I gather a lot of intelligence by talking to the companies, talking to people. But usually, my conversations are lagging a strategic decision by the company, or an event, or a change in direction by the company, and it's lacking. You know, it's, it's lagging by at least two phases. So that's where this this data becomes important as as, as regularly as you can get it to see what's happening during the changes. Because, and to your point, if, if the persona hasn't changed, it may need to change. How do you predict that before you get on the phone and have somebody actually tell you that it's changed? So do not assume, everybody, big, big takeaway, do not assume that the company persona that you have today uh, is, is what it should be based on what's happened over the last 12 months. You know, what are some other challenges? Let's talk about some of the challenges that we have with um, the data that's available today. Greg, you and I were having a conversation about this. Why don't you enlighten everyone? Uh, some is obvious, but some yeah. may not be as obvious. Yeah, so I'll, uh, I'll personalize it first by saying I, I learned these differences only by being absolutely buried in the data all day long, every day for three, five, seven years, right? So, and I would never have thought of it until I got as deep as I have even in the last three. So, you know, some basic things, um, the stuff that I always use, zip code, that was pretty predictable. But by pulling in a zip code, the NAICS codes are the SIC codes, and then filtering by number of employees and annual sales. If you took a population, pick a number 100, and then you filter it by NAICS code, and in the, let's just say you know for a fact that that total addressable market is 100 companies, as soon as you filter it by NAICS code out of the 1,057 SIC codes, and I've used like 11 or 1,200 NAICS codes, you immediately lose probably 20 or 30% of that. Why? Because SIC codes and NAICS code aren't accurate. There's no data governance. There are a lot of them. The, the, the actual words in the codes, good luck trying to decipher it. It's, it. A lot of them are there from a long time ago, right? Um, then you go into the number of employees. Now you slice it by number of employees. You would, you would if, again, it's, it's going in if you knew the outcome, you would chop off another 20 or 30% because you'd lose those that weren't properly modeled to get the right mm -hmm. annual sales. Right? The only numbers you can get annual sales, or the only companies you can get annual sales sales on that are accurate are publicly traded companies, 15,000 out of 30 million. I mean, it's 15,000 out of 5.8 million that have more than one employee. It's still not going to be accurate. And we, whether it's Corterra, Dun & Bradstreet, Equifax, Experian, TU, you could go through InfoUSA, Zoom, uh, Zoom Info, DiscoverOrg, any of those guys, anybody who has annual sales numbers either buys them from somebody like us that manufactures them, or we man we model them, right? And, and what happens, and I, I, I finally geeked out a little bit and said, I got to dig into Tesla for a minute because I heard that Tesla can manufacture a car start to finish in three hours. It's like, holy cow, that's stunning. Right? And wow, that is. That's crazy. But then I had to say, how long does it take a Ford Mustang to be built? Mm. Arguably not as technologically, um, you know, advanced as a Tesla, 30 hours, right? Mm. The wow. models that we and everybody else like us as data providers create take nothing in the way of account uh, into account for efficiency. So mm. our number of employees and or annual sales, if you take then, you know, the annual sales, which is the good old number of employees times, you know, the average or some 
metric that you can get from the 15,000 companies in revenue per employee, out the window it goes. So there's there's just there's huge challenges with it. And, and I forever thought my reps aren't good at prospecting. They can't do this. They can't, you know, pop, 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 all the different things or, or marketing stinks and they can't get me good stuff or they, nobody's getting this addressable market right or my territory layout, I, nobody can, you know, it's like, no, it's not that they're bad. It's yeah. the tools they have, most of us had, like I had, were inferior. The data was, was inherently inaccurate and data is, inaccurate, right? Even our spend data, it's verified spend data, but there are some things with it that I, I, I don't get an invoice with all of the things on it. Like you get at Publix when I go grocery shopping, I get a total. So if I have vegetables and beer, those are two different markets, but I'm going to have to put one total number into a, into a, into a market, right? So they're inherently flawed. Data is mm. inherently flawed. So you have to get more of it and you have to apply more technology to it to get more out of it. And the more of both of those you do, your, your results are always going to get better. So you can add all the technology you want to junk data, mm -hmm. you're not going to get any more. There's a cap on it. You can only do so much. So my sense, Greg, is that we're talking kind of at a, uh, a 301, 401 level here when a lot of companies are at the 101 level. So just the picture that we showed before, uh, of the market opportunity, just being able to fill out that picture is a challenge for a lot of companies because people are still just pulling out their account list and just, you know, going at it randomly. So if you take the other side, so we talked about market opportunity, the other side is sales capacity. So you talked about reps good enough, et cetera. This is where you take this information and you convert that into your territory designs, your deployment. Yes. And also uh, you're considering those things like sales capacity and your staffing plan. And so we've been talking for a while about the idea uh, that sales capacity is gonna be changing as sales models change, as we're looking at maybe hybrid instead of people just being on the road all the time, that changes capacity. Average sales price changes capacity. The fact that geographic boundaries uh, don't matter as much changes capacity. So putting these two sides together you know, is, a, is a very complete picture. And I think a challenge for a lot of organizations to do that uh, well. Yeah. So, um, so I want to uh, show a little bit of reality because everybody's probably wondering, okay, well, yeah, this is we're exciting. talking at a high level here. So I want to pull up a yep. couple of examples, Greg, and, and uh, these are from actual um, projects where we're looking at TAM and looking at territories and, and of course, goals. And this one here, and this is Corterra information, this one here is looking at the account level opportunity for shipping or logistics services so this is a company that provides logistics and shipping services for, and this is one of their segments, the food segment. So what it shows you, and, and there's a couple companies shown here, there's Schreiber Foods and there's uh, uh, Link Snacks. And what it's showing you is shipping information for uh, truckload, less than truckload parcel. It's not just, as you said, the total of the shopping list, but let's talk about what, what they actually can see here. Yeah, so in this, these are, this is an example of sort of the page one of a report that we generate. Um, it's the use case tends to be used by credit managers. So there's things like credit scores and payment behavior things, but the, the spend data is, is applicable to anybody and regardless of the format it comes up in, uh, valuable. But ultimately what we're doing is we're saying for Schreiber Foods, as an example, we got $312 million worth of total known spend over the last 12 months. And we're gonna break that down into it's really four higher level categories, which are materials, operations, shipping, and then we do have another for some catch-alls. 
Um, and below that, we've got 45 total different categories. So each one of those sub-segments has further sub-segmented into 45 total categories. And, and what this is looking at is saying, hey, for the last 12 months, this company, Schreiber, has spent $56 million with companies that are reporting to Corterra, and that is up 1.4% year over year. Right, so that's growth. Interestingly, and I just looked at the upper right-hand corner of those reports, so those were back, I guess, when we were probably working on this, they're back from uh, April of 2020, right? So as I watch a couple of these companies that I use all the time to talk through these, it's been amazing to watch their spend in each one of these categories change. And you watch it like, like food going through a snake. You watch materials go down, operations go down, shipping goes down, materials go back up, operations goes up, shipping. And all that is, is the, you think about it, that's just the workflow. I take my raw materials in, I run my business, I ship it out the door if I'm a manufacturer. Right, so I can tell you a lot of things about that business without doing much. It's, they clearly have raw materials. And if I looked down into the detail, the subcategories to materials, I'd see what it is. I'd probably realize that it's, it's not building company or it's not a construction company. They're, they're running their business. And by looking at the categories of spend there, I can tell what they're using to run their business. And then shipping, you know, you can learn a whole lot about that. And that shipping is actually, get all your, your carrier-related spend, but then we have fleet-related spend. So Shriver very well might have carriers where they're using primary carriers to move product, or they might have their own for local distribution with some commercial vehicles of their own. Yeah, yeah. So, so as we get into the challenge that the, the <clears throat> client here, our client was trying to solve for, it was this. They didn't have very good data other than history to understand what their market opportunity was. And because of, you know, the, the client that they serve and they're a logistics company, we were able to leverage the Corterra data to help them understand market opportunity at the account level. And we were able to run heat maps and show them where opportunity was. And they built their entire coverage model strategy around that. Right. Right. So what, what uh, one of the take, another takeaway here then I would say is, you've got to understand to the point that Greg was making earlier, what your company persona is, who it is that you're serving, because that will help you understand the right data that you can use to supplement data that you may already have. So I wanted to ask another question. This is just another mm -hmm. view here, Greg. This one is a uh, company that sells uh, food packaging. And so uh, they're looking at food producers. Uh, well, here, here again is Schreiber Foods and what they purchase for packaging and, and the trend on that as well. And you talked about the different categories that you, that you can access, but even if it's not one of those categories, it seems like these things could be indicators for what your products might be. So if I'm selling, you know, uh, semiconductors or I'm selling, you know, business machines, whatever it might be, um, I could look at a few things. I could look at the trending and the leading indicators by industry, like we saw before, and I could know where things are getting better. And then I could also probably, uh, and this is a question for you, I could probably look at some of these categories, even if they're not direct matches for what I sell, and I could probably use them to estimate what I sell, right, yeah. and, and what the demand might be. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's, if, you, if you think about, I always use a restaurant as, as an example, right, and, and, and some people say I'm not fun to go to restaurants with because I'm always looking around for logos and whatnot, <laughs> and, and I do, but if you think about walking into a restaurant and assume you, you, assume you know what, what the restaurant is, but assume you're looking at something that says, just the categories of spend and you see things like alcohol, Pepsi, Coke, uh, produce, food, uh, toiletries, um, uniforms, linens, 
uh, CO2 to pump the, the soda and the beer through, right? All of a sudden you look at that and you're like, oh yeah, they're not building, you know, steel structures. So you can start to see what they are. And I don't have to know that they're buying Pepsi or Coke. I don't, I don't need to know that. But if I'm selling Pepsi or Coke or the alcohol and I see that they've got uniforms and food and all these other things that would indicate a food establishment, I know it's there. I do it all the time. The transportation space is fun because you can look at uh, like building wood products is one on that list. If I pulled that company up right now and looked at their shipping spend, I bet you 10 bucks that they have uh, a full truckload spend. And I can tell you that without even looking at the full truckload spend, I'd tell you it's a flatbed full truckload. Why? Because it's the only way to move lumber. I can put it in a box. You know, I can put it in a small car. You can move as much in one, one with one tra uh, tra uh, truck, you know, one cab as you possibly can. Oh. Right? You just see it all the time. So it's that, how can you interpret it? It's, it's a great, it's fun. You start looking at it and it's, you can geek out pretty quickly on it, I guess, but <laughs> easy to look for. So what's the, uh, what's the practical application of this level of information when you get down <clears throat> to the, say the sales manager level or, or the rep level? what should they have? Should they have just the account list? Should they have access to this kind of information at this level of detail? What, what's really practical in terms of I mean, using for, it in the sales organization? To educate a rep, I don't want my reps to have to figure out how to, how to read this report, right? I, I, my, my reps here have to learn how to read this report, but outside of my business, I, I wouldn't want them to get into that. So it's how do you get the data Number one, where do you get it? And there's, there's, you know, that we have the spend data. There's other types of different data that are, are interesting as well. We think this is pretty predictive, but, um, but how do you get that data? How do you somehow put it in the control of somebody with tools that allow them to maximize, right? Because the first cut could be, I want everybody who has packaging spend. That's it. Okay, that's good. It's going to get you pretty, pretty far. Intent data is another one that's out there. Intent is cute. That probably is better than NAICS codes and SIP codes but intent data doesn't mean they bought it, right? This means they bought it. But then you could go on and say, okay, how do I take 45 categories of spend and look at anyone that had, you know, packaging spend and say, what are the top five categories of spend outside of packaging? And then sort all the others and say, I'm gonna find anybody with these five top categories because there's a high probability that there's packaging. And you could, you could drive it down to all kinds of analytics to do it with super powerful stuff. We do it all the time but that's not, not usually in the wheelhouse for most marketing or, or sales ops. Mm -hmm. You start by just looking at, you know, find those with the categories you've got and then see what you can do to build the talent and, and, and or leverage the resources across your organization with people that are doing other business intelligence, BI type mm -hmm. of activities and see what you can do to get even more out of the data or use tools from, you know, you know companies like us that have other tools that do all that for you if you want it. But there's um, whatever data it's, how do you get more unique data and then apply technology to it to extract the real value from it? So we started at really high level about yeah. with those, with those bounce curves, we looked at industry and then we started to drill down to, uh, you know, what the account level looks like. Um, here you can see how you start to put some of these pieces together at the territory level. So uh, some of the big factors, we're just showing five factors here. So your coverage model, we <clears> talked, <throat> Michelle, about the idea yes. that those are changing, coverage models are changing. Yep. And we're, we're tracking how that's, that's evolving and, and you know, obviously working with companies to, to uh, develop their models moving ahead. Uh, you've got considerations of reach and density. So mm -hmm. um, how far can somebody get geographically to cover these opportunities? Again, that's changing because we have 
um, virtual or hybrid selling models. Density, we've got you know higher density uh, metro areas that we've got to think about and what's happening to those, right? So that may be maybe shifting as well. Yeah, there's been a shift, hasn't there, in some of these high density areas? Yeah, yeah. So you know, it's to that point. We can't assume things are going to stay the right. same. So uh, does does the density uh, of purchase in those areas change at all? And then you got the big question of sales capacity, which mm -hmm. we've talked about. So. Uh, headcount, talent level, amount of time available to sell, workload to sell, that type of thing. And then ultimately, then you've got deployment, which is yep. where are we going to put people given all these factors. So, uh, you know, I just want to kind of paint that picture or bring it together that we've got that super high level, then we get down to industry, then we get down to account level, uh, persona, and then we say, okay, now we have to put people out there, what are the big factors we're going to consider. So, um, so I think, you know, when you look at it soup to nuts, a lot of these pieces come together and, and this kind of information can really enhance your approach, not just on overall market targeting, but getting down to the actual execution. You know, and it's making me think about not just the company persona, but the buyer persona. So mm -hmm. I think that that may have changed too. When you think about the value proposition, what it is that they're solving for, it just may have shifted based on some of the things that you're mentioning there, Mark, that are impacting companies that are buying, like reach, where are buyers? How is their organization structured now, right? What's happening? So I think taking a really close look at not just the company buyer, but uh, sorry, not just the company persona, but the buyer personas, how they may have changed. We know that pre-pandemic, an average of seven individuals involved in the B2B sale. Has that changed? So I think we need to be asking a lot of different questions yeah, and, around and, that. You know, as we were talking to one of our think tanks as well, we were talking about the idea that people getting back into the field is varying yeah. by industry. It's also varying by right. demographic and age group as well. So you know, Greg, a lot of people like us were like ready to get back on the road. But what we're also <laughs> hearing from clients is people that are maybe a little younger than us are going, no, I'm doing just fine working virtually. And then you flip it around, you talk about buyer persona. Well, the buyer, how does the buyer feel? How are they going right. to act? Are those buyers like us? You know, you got to come and come and see me? Or are they going to be, you know, like the other generation Changed. that's saying, hey, you know, just let's, let's get on a, a virtual call or a, or a video call and we could do it that way. Yeah. So those those things are all going to shift around a bit. I don't know. I've got a very young millennial over here, production manager rolling her <laughs> eyes at us right now. So it's not a one size fits all. But Mark is right. We got to be taking a close look at the buyers. I you know, I've just got them on my mind because we we often ignore the buyer persona in the pursuit of company. And I just think that both are very important. So, you know, as we as we wrap this up, what we're saying is. The, the data that's out there, well, we do know the historical data is probably not so good anymore. It's not um, an indicator of what, what the future TAM can look like because we've mentioned things more than just the inaccuracy of that data, but that your market may have changed. Your company persona may have changed because people's business models are changing, right? And then just what they buy is changing and how they operate. So you got to really look at that. And what we're saying is, some of the data could still be good, but append it and look at other sources of data by looking at your company persona and get the best match for your company based on that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Well, Greg, any other words of wisdom as we're, as we're winding this up in terms of how we're looking at our TAM? You know, I think um, we've covered a lot of stuff today, but I, I think it is one thing you said most resonated me, with me, Mark, was 
a lot of companies, if you go to the super sophisticated, a lot of companies can't handle that. And I talk to companies all day that are still doing things in, in a somewhat prehistoric approach, but it was because they're focused on delivering product, not on building infrastructure, right? Um, but there's, there's like anything, there are, there are all kinds of different levels of, of improvement that you can get and, and just challenge yourself to, to approach it differently, bring in people that are willing to geek out and talk about it and help. Um, I mean, you guys, we've had a lot of fun talking with all kinds of different projects you know, with you guys and just sharing knowledge. And there are a lot of folks like us out there on the data side who are geeks in the data world, but, um, but are, you know, sales folks at heart that are certainly willing to talk about it and, and just challenge yourself to do it differently. I think that's the key. The millennial production manager over there is, that's the group that we got to dig into. <laughs> Other people that understand the data and, and that's, that's, they're going to, they're going to guide us. So, um, but great stuff. Yeah, exactly right. And, you know, for everyone listening, um, it, please feel free to contact us at Sales Globe because we've got materials to support our conversation today with Greg and more detailed uh, information. So we'll actually show you a process that you can walk through on your own as you're looking at your total addressable market. So please be sure to connect with us on that. Um, check out our podcast. We're on Spotify. We're on iTunes. We're anywhere you listen to a podcast. And please be sure to talk to us about your greatest tough challenges. Corterra and Sales Globe, we're here to help. Um, but, you know, in the meantime, look through all that data and everybody have a fantastic weekend. Great. And Greg, thank you for joining us. Absolutely. I appreciate your input. Yeah, thanks so much. Thanks, thanks everybody. A pleasure. Thanks for joining us. And remember, Sales Globe is a data-driven, creative problem-solving firm for sales. Yes, we solve your biggest sales challenges, and we would love to hear from you about yours. You can find us at salesglobe.com and connect with us on LinkedIn.